All right. Welcome, everybody, to episode 233 of the Millennial Sales Podcast. Your host, Tommy Tahoe Alebo, and this is the show where we help young salespeople get to the next level, build the skill set, make more money, get promoted, find the right job, whatever it is that you need. That's what we're here for. Uh, and I'm on the path right there with you. Um, really, really stoked about today's episode. We're going to get to the guests in a minute. Before we do that, let's do a quick shout out to our sponsors. Uh, first, want to give a shout out to gong.io. You might have saw the news last week, 250 million with an M in uh, funding for our Series E. Uh, I work there. That's how much I love the company and the product. It is simply the best sales invention that's ever existed. I mean, that, that is not an exaggeration. It changes my life. Uh, it has helped thousands and thousands of companies. So ch check us out. Revenue Intelligence, you've likely heard of it. You've likely used it or something similar. Uh, so check us out at gong.io or just DM me on LinkedIn and I'll point you in the right direction uh, for who to talk to. Uh, the other sponsor we want to shout out is postal.io, uh, who's helping to really customize the uh, gift giving experience to customers. So you can do it from the brewery across town, the local florist, uh, to customers, to partners, to prospects. So instead of like giving your, um, you know, kind of lame, like standard gift, you can really personalize it and rock people's socks. I use it with customers. I use it with podcast guests. I uh, highly recommend that you check them out. They're doing something cool uh, that ends this month that anyone that goes to the Apple podcast uh, and, and gives a review, which should only take a minute of this podcast and sends that to me, will give you a free Starbucks gift card. So I've got a Starbucks here right now. Go figure, Pike Place for me, but you can get whatever you want there with the gift card. And, uh, you know, it helps me, it helps them, it helps you. It's a win-win-win, as Michael Scott would say. So check them out at postal.io. Much love to both of those sponsors. Um, let's get into today's content. I've got Stephanie Jenkins. Let's just do uh, a quick background on Stephanie because I've, this is episode 233 and she's one of the most impressive people that I think I've had on this show. Um, she is currently the CRO at FlowHub, which in its own right is interesting in the cannabis technology landscape. But she uh, she graduated from Cornell with three degrees, chemistry, biology, and art history, and then decided to just move to California with no job, uh, get into sales. She cut her uh, teeth for a few years uh, and then got into Glassdoor. And after, from eight years and four promotions later, she was the VP of sales there. Um, and then, uh, you know, about nine months after that into her startup flow hub, she got named CRO. So we're talking a decade ish of sales experience and already a CRO of a high growth company in a crazy exciting market. Um, she's really impressive. We talk about her journey. We talk about being mission focused uh, and how important that is to your sales career. That's why I think this episode is so important to anyone that's in sales or leadership. You have to find that mission that helps you keep going. And, uh, you know, mine personally is I get so much satisfaction out of helping other salespeople. I think sales can change your life. It's changed mine. And so that's why I do this podcast. That's why I do the blog. So I work at Gong. It all works together. Um, and we also talk about uh, the cannabis tech world and what she's doing with Flow Hub and, and a bunch of other stuff. But I think you're going to love this episode. I'll shut up now. Let's go straight to my conversation with Stephanie Jenkins. Let's go. All right, Stephanie Jenkins, welcome to the Millennial Sales Podcast. How are you? Thanks, Tom. 
Appreciate being here. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on when Mark Kosoglow tells me that I need to interview someone and meet someone. Hands down, no questions asked. I send the email and I get it set up. So I'm excited to uh, to be talking with you. Yeah, well, I appreciate you know following in Mark's footsteps here. It's one of the greats. Yeah, he's a legend. Um, you were speaking at the Unleash conference a few weeks ago. Is that? Yeah, yeah. yeah we had a little uh, sales, like an American Idol contest where we we had to put CROs and sales leaders, myself as one of them, in the the hot seat to perform some some sales skills. And uh, Mark, no surprise, won the American Idol contest. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, there'll there'll be another one for me another time. So. <laughs> He can only aspire to be as creative and, you know, like on your, on your toes as Mark. So yes, I'm sure that was exactly. a blast. It was, it was really fun. It was super fun. So uh, I want to start with the beginning of your sales career. Cause I'm always fascinated about how people get in the, into sales. And um, I go on your LinkedIn, I see Cornell, I'm like, okay. And I see biology, chemistry, art, history. Uh, yeah. And so, uh -huh. You know, like 15 years later, you're a CRO, uh, you know, in tech. Yeah. And so like, what, what was, what was that all about? Like when you're graduating Cornell, okay. like, how do you, like, why did you get into sales? <laughs> uh, I had no idea that, um, I would have ended up in sales. I really didn't. I think a lot of people in college don't really understand that sales is a career and it's a really awesome one too. And I don't think that they really understand that it's a, um, like it's a really great path to go into after you after you graduate but uh at cornell i i triple majored in chemistry biology and art history i got triple my concentration major. triple major i got my concentration in biochemistry my honors in chemistry and i won an award for the best honors thesis at the, <laughs> Jesus. College, the university too so i like to say that i you know knew i was smart and knew how to work really hard but i had no idea what i wanted to do um I really didn't. And I thought, I thought maybe I'd go into like research and I tried, you know, research and maybe I'd go down to academia and I really didn't like it. Like being under a fume hood all day, you know, I'm generally energized by, by other people. So that wasn't working very well. Um, and I thought maybe I'd be a doctor and I didn't really want to be a doctor. Um, you know, kind of blood and guts still makes me a little squeamish. So maybe that's not the best path for me either. Um, so I, I kind of moved to San Francisco with this dream of the great West and of Silicon Valley and, you know, all the entrepreneurs out here are so inspiring and all the technology is so inspiring. And, um, I had like $2,000 in my bank account and I, uh, was driving down a nearly broken down Honda Civic and, um, I didn't have a job when I first moved to San Francisco. So I just rolled right up and needed to find one really quickly. Uh, and I found a job in sales and they offered to pay me the most money. So I thought, why not? I'd never considered the path before. And that's how I found it. But as soon as I found it, I knew like, this is, this is what I want to do. This is like an, an awesome job. It's, it's competitive. It's fun. You get to help people buy the products that you're selling and you get to kind of evangelize what you believe in. Um, and, uh, you know, it's kind of rewarding to hit and hit and achieve your goals and the play on communication is so interesting too, that I thought like, why didn't anyone tell me about this in college? This is, this is way better than, than chemistry. So that's kind of how it evolved. 
So, okay, I've got a few questions. So you went to Cornell. <laughs> Are you from New York or like the New England Northeast area? No, I grew up in Dallas, Texas, just outside okay. of it in the suburb. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and so you graduate and I have to imagine your parents or your guidance counselor or someone was like, you're going to give up <laughs> this, triple, this triple major <laughs> and just like go out to San Francisco. It just feels yeah. like I can't even imagine you know, just doing that. Oh, no, people do that every day. Yeah, I mean, uh, probably at some point you did that too with, you know, like following your dreams and your passions. No one tells you what to do when you exit college. You know, people give you options and choices. People say like, oh, you could go into like, you can go to academia, you can go into industry, you can, you know, go into, I thought maybe I'd go into biotech when I moved out to San Francisco. That was kind of like, I wanted to go work for Genentech and, you know, yeah. live in the Bay area and uh, <laughs> do all the the cool biotech stuff. That's kind of, that's what I thought I might, I might do out here. Um, but, you know, there's no, like no one gives you the playbook to go, to go do. So you just, you kind of follow your own path. And sometimes you land on something that you realize is a strength of yours and you pursue it and it ends up being the right decision. Did you pick it up relatively quickly? Like, do you have pretty immediate success? I would say so. Um, I would say so. Like I, in my first sales role, uh, it was at a company called Capital Asset Exchange and Trading, CAE. Um, I think someone else on your podcast uh, recently also went to the CAE, you know, kind of post-university experience, who I knew very well, Patricia yep. Duchesne. Yep. Um, shout out if she listened. Shout out uh, to her. <laughs> um but they uh, did, a, I think, a great job with hiring people who had a, a ton of ambition and passion and, um, you know, could work hard and smart. And um, they th- honestly, like the, the company's training program was like, throw you in the fire and let's sink or swim. Um, I, I don't know if I would advise this for most sales training programs now, um, but it's a, certainly a good way to kind of see what types of personalities or, or traits or skills work in an organization in sales. And, um, uh, like I knew right away that I really liked it. Like I really enjoyed having conversations with people every day. I really enjoyed closing and negotiating deals, especially kind of the negotiation part and like the psychological aspect of it. Um, and I enjoyed kind of like the hustle and the grit and the grind of it, um, very much. And I, you know, there was a quick ramp and, you know, if you, if you, if you swam, you swam and you kept on going, um, so yeah, you, you were probably used to that grind from college too, you know, like, <laughs> for, like that must've been I a ton of work, so. right? I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's something that's always been, I think, part of my life where you, you kind of fill it with a lot of things to do or things to learn. And, um, I don't know if I considered university a grind because I think I really enjoyed what I, what I was learning and I've never really thought of my role in sales or any sales job that I've had is necessarily a grind because it's, it's kind of a mindset. Like if you're enjoying it, you just keep going. It's why you're doing this podcast, right, Tom? Like you right. really enjoy it and you find interest and passion in it. Um, so, yeah. Absolutely. Um, so after a year or two, I think you then landed at Glassdoor, which is where mm-hmm. you really kind of built the majority of your career to date. Um, what led you to Glassdoor? Do you remember? Yeah. Um, oh, it was, for me, it was all about the mission. Um, when working at uh, CAE, I, 
it was a lot of travel um, and a lot of really long hours. And I don't think I felt myself very connected with the mission at one point there. Um, I think I had kind of convinced myself for the first few years that we were doing the right thing. Um, and then I remember like running on a treadmill in Singapore thinking like, what am I doing? Like, am I, I, I don't know if I'm like bettering the world right now by doing this job. I don't know if like what I'm selling is making a difference or if I'm kind of the middleman in this. Um, and I, it led to like a, a disheartening perspective of what I was doing. And it, it made me kind of snap up and wake up like, is this really how I want to spend my life, you know, uh, or, or is there something more that I could be working towards or a bigger picture, picture or mission? Um, so I remember then researching different organizations. I found Glassdoor when we were really early. Um, we were, I don't think it was a common name or a household name at that point, or, you know, that even many people like knew the platform existed. Um, but to me, it was so important because you're bringing so much transparency to people and you're kind of shedding the light into a lot of the dark corners of employment and you're helping employers at the same time. So when you're selling the products, you're really helping bring the best fit people into their organization that fit their organization. Yeah. You know, some companies are awesome and they offer free benefits and perks and they have a very specific culture. And some companies are like an interesting, different type of roller coaster or maybe not that rewarding, but it's better that you know those things going into a job. So your expectations, you know, stay similar. So I've, I found that company in the sale really rewarding from that perspective. And I, you know, I met our, our CEO at the time and, um, you know, really fell, felt that they were empowering like a much better future for a place mm. where we spend so many of our working hours, um, that I, you know, really wanted to hop on board. Yeah. And you mentioned, um, you know, earlier about being passionate about like being part of a mission driven organization. And yeah. I feel like that probably ties pretty clearly to what you said a few minutes ago about it, not being a grind when you kind of feel like there's the mission behind it, right? If you enjoy it, but, and you feel like you're helping people and, you know, in, in yes. the scenario of glass door, you can kind of like paint the picture that, okay, I'm helping, you know, someone out there find the right job for them. And I'm helping that exactly. company out there find the right employee, you know, versus something yeah. that's usually can be kind of a painful process. So did that help yes. you like push harder and like, you know, work 100%. smarter and connect with customers more? A hundred percent because like our mission was to help people find the, the job that they love. This is not just a job, right? This is not just like your nine to five that you, you know, put maybe, maybe that is your dream because you have passions outside, but you know, if you're spending so much of your time there, the top three things in your life are like your family, where you work and where you live. Those are the yeah. top, that's it. Those are kind of your, uh, someone's core values, right? Where you work is a huge component of that. It's where you're spending time. It can be like a source of great stress. It can be a source of great enjoyment. Um, and it's good knowing like very transparently what it's like at that organization, the good, the bad, the ugly before you go into it. So I felt like what we were doing was a much bigger and more important than, you know, even what we were, that we were selling or, you know, the one-on-one -on -one conversations that, that I was having with customers um, or having with reps or employees or anything like that, because there's this bigger picture that we were working towards. Um, so, yeah, I, I've, I've always felt that way about you kind of, you really have to believe in what you're doing. Um, did you, in the early days of your career, I'm curious, did you, 
were you someone that like read sales books or listened to tapes or anything like that? Like, did, or was it more like you learned on the go, like from experience and from maybe mentors and things like that? But I'm just curious as someone that was, you know, in a former yeah. life, very studious and very yeah. good with books. I imagine I'm curious if, if you leverage those to help in your early days. You know what? I really didn't start leveraging those until I got to Glassdoor. So mm -hmm. the early days of CAE, it was very like fly by the seat of your pants, just grind and hustle. And it was a very like negotiation driven sale. So it was all about like, you know, almost call it like 75% of the role was like negotiating back and forth. Um, so a little bit different. And I, I didn't really find a lot of like the sales books until later and how valuable they were. Um, and then, you know, I think I had, I had one of my former managers, Chris Kurtz, like shout out to him has in, inspired a lifelong love of like sales learning for me, gave me a, you know, a whole reading list and, um, a bunch of just great books, um, that not just helped me learn the sales process a lot better, but also kind of mo motivation. How do you, um, you know, how do you motivate yourself? How do you motivate others? Um, the greater like why that we're doing this, like all kinds of inspirational, non-fictional reading. And I really didn't start getting into that kind of lifelong love of learning of the craft until until the glass door days. In the early days, it was just like, you know, just grit yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and you... no skill. I remember, you know what? I remember going to glass door. This is a true story. And um I did a call with, oh, this was so embarrassing. It was my worst phone call I've ever had. And it was right, it was right, it was a manager. Uh, I had a, a manager at the time who told me like, you got to do discovery. And I didn't really know what discovery was at the time. I was like, wait, what's discovery? They're, they're like, oh, you're supposed to like ask a bunch of questions, you know, so you can like kind of learn about your prospect. And then you can like use those learnings later in the sales call. And I was like, oh, okay, okay, I'll try that. And I had just landed this like, big call with the Marriott and I had emailed their CEO. I forgot it's the same guy and they had passed it on to the buyer. And I was getting like a C-suite person in the room with me. I was going to try this brand new discovery process, which I stupidly just learned about. Um, oh, and God. I remember at like, I had written out my questions before. And I, so I start like running down, like, tell me about like, what are some of your projects this year? Like, what are some of your like values? And, and the buyer just flat out stopped me in the middle of the conversation and said, wait, why are you asking me so many questions? And I was like, oh, um, you just, I'm just learning about your business so that I can like position <laughs> products differently later. Oh God. <laughs> it, was like, it was the worst call ever. Then it, from that <laughs> moment, which was not that far into the call, I, I'd asked like one question or two questions. They were like, just show me the, just show me the product. Oh, and I was dead like, in the water. Oh, here oh I'm like, oh my God, here we go. Um, and I, I think I half started going into a demo and then they steamrolled me again on something else. And we ended the call like 15 minutes and it was probably the worst sales call I ever had after I attempted to do this new thing that I found, which is discovery, right? How embarrassing is that? <laughs> um. <laughs> and then you, you probably saw Marriott as a featured customer on your uh, competitor's website two months later. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm sure I did. Yeah. Like, how could I have bungled that sales process? But then like it, a lot of, um, a lot of what I learned and I'll attribute a lot of this to Chris was like, what is, what's like sales foundational, you know, like let's get faster. Let's, let's get real or let's not play. Um, the song, uh, Kahala. What's his name? Yes. Um, 
No. Um, basically, like, I, uh, you're giving me an odd look, Tom. I don't know what you're, I don't even know what we're talking about right now. I don't know. Um, let's get real or let's like not play. I like that line. Yeah. It's a really great um, book that gives Masan Kahala, I think is, is the name of the author, um, that gives the foundational of like a discovery led sales process like mm. your um so i've had to go back and kind of relearn at that point a lot of traditional sales and i i really i really have enjoyed being a student of the industry after that yeah i love that um were there any books and it could be sales or it could be like some of the mindset psychology mm-hmm. any motivation anything like that that really stood out and made a huge impact on you or anything that you recommend that other people read like on your team or people you mentor anything like that yeah one of my favorite motivational type of books and this is a leadership book in general so anyone who's like who wants to become a sales leader someday i feel like should or is should absolutely read this which is gung-ho ken blanchard ken blanchard you know wrote like Mm. one minute manager who stole my cheese like those Mm -hmm. kind of silly looking they have like very 1980s covers on them (laughs) yeah Um, yeah uh, he wrote a quick one called Gung Ho, and it kind of goes through the core of how to motivate teams. And um, it just describes like a really wonderful philosophy of having like a very mission-driven organization. Like there's, I'm going to give you the highlights of this book real quick. There's kind of like yeah. three foundational elements of it. The secret of the squirrel, the way of the beaver, and the gift of the goose. And the secret of the squirrel is kind of like your core philosophy like why are you here and you have to help everyone find that why and find that mission and help tie their jobs to a much bigger picture Mm -hmm. and I realized when you adopt that philosophy in managing teams it's really powerful like you know having seen what you're doing and and helping that be like helping that tie that to a much bigger impact can be like an incredible powerful force for an, and a very powerful motivational force for an individual contributor and anyone in an organization, not just sales, um, to be able to see, you know, what I'm doing, what I'm selling makes a really big difference in this world. And it's yeah. not just, you know, it's not just me uh, selling a product. Like I'm actually helping change and, and move society along. Um, and then the second foundational philosophy there is the way of the beaver, which is, uh, it's, I'm trying to find a ways to describe this. It's like, so, you know, a group of beavers when they build a dam, yep. there's not like a, a beaver in the corner. That's like telling all the other beavers instructions on how to build the dam and like organizing their work and managing their work. There's not a leader beaver. Right. It's this concept of like matrix style leadership. So creating a safe enough space where idea the best ideas can come out and mm-hmm. the best idea wins and how do you how do you help operationalize this you know kind of this way of the beaver where there isn't a leader um, and you're letting the team lead itself by helping encourage uh, organizational change or project change or management and letting those ideas surface and then the last one is gift of the goose which is kind of self-explanatory it's cheering each other on um, so using positivity and, you know, good intent and, um, yeah. and gratitude to help, uh, further an organization and motivate people, which I've always found lovely. I love that. <laughs> I've never heard of that book before. It's a really good one. I think I just gave you all the cliff notes though. So, uh, <laughs> check it out. Ken Blanchard should be paying you royalties for your like two minute rundown of his books. <laughs> 
he should um yeah so i've given away all the spoilers though it kind of like play like it's like a mystery you're like oh what's the next secret but i've just told you all of them so good so luck now with reading people stuff. don't they don't need to go <laughs> read the book they can just take your two-minute version and go use it for their leadership there you go <laughs> that's it um so <laughs> Uh, so I know one thing that you were, uh, you know, mentioned that you were passionate about is like, as you became a leader, like helping others with their career progression and kind of like yeah. the mapping of that. Uh, I'd love to hear you talk about how you've done that, you know, at Glassdoor, maybe how you're doing that at FlowHub, if it's different between the two places. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting because I think that a lot of people in sales, like when they join sales, it's, be, it's often because they you know, maybe they're external, like um, energized by talking to other people. Maybe they're um, competitive in some ways and numbers motivate them. Um, and I think when you join a sales organization or step into it, maybe as an SDR, a lot of companies, especially when they're smaller, don't have like really great ways to move through an organization. Like how do I, if I'm good at my job, like how do I progress to that next level? Mm -hmm. And I think I, I've perceived talking to a, you know, a lot of people at different companies, like this is pretty common where people feel like they get stuck. Like there is, yep. isn't that clear path up um, or they have to wait for someone to leave. Um, and that even then they don't know if they'll be able to get the promotion um, or it's, yeah. Right. Uh, I think a lot of people have. Um, and it's, I've always found it to be like rather like a shame that organizations don't help try to systematically correct for that or like reward people in an, a non-biased way who are high performing in sales organizations. Another interesting thing that I hear a lot too is that like, oh, well, why did they get the promotion? My numbers are better than their numbers. Mm. Um, that's, that's not fair. Like I hit my quota all four quarters and they missed it twice, right? Yeah. Um, so how do you solve for that, that kind of um, like unbiased promotion pathway um, so something that we started doing at Glassdoor, which I thought was really awesome, and I've been able to carry through to FlowHub, was to create career ladders and career progression to provide in-role in promotions. And then like really objective criteria on how do you get to that next level? And how do yep. you get to a place where you're interviewing for it? And then what is the interview process, the evaluation process? So um, for example, if you step into an SDR role, you know, you start at, call it, I'm just going to make up some numbers. Let's call it like 50. You're making 50 K a year, right? Yep. If you're six months successful in the role, hit quota four out of the six months, you bump up to the next level. So SDR level two, right? Mm -hmm. You get a 10% base bump. You've now gotten like a little promotion. So it's like very quick, six months in the role, you've hit your quota, another four out of six months. Great. You get an automatic promotion to the next tier, a little 10% base bump. So you get these little tiny promotions, stair step promotions mm -hmm. within role that actually feel really good and rewarding. And they reinforce like, I am doing a great job at my, my job. I am doing a really good one. Um, and sometimes they come with like little, you can create it where they come with little title changes or, for, you know, like little rewards um, or right. increases of, of scope or responsibility. Um, and you can create them between roles as well. So, you know, going from SDR to an AE or AE to an SAE. And if you outline very clear, pathways to get there, there's actually like a great way to do organizational design that allow for great like career progression and, cre and passing through these career ladders where you don't find yourself really stuck. So I think a lot of 
sales organizations in general, they're, they're starting out, they're doing things so fast that, oh, we just got to get some AEs here. And they kind of forget about like, well, what happens next? Yeah. What happens after two years? And they're still in the same role. Like, where do, where do we go from here? So there's an element of you kind of have to think ahead a few steps with how do I create like a very clear ladder and structure? How do I communicate? What um, how, how do I communicate the process of progress, progression? And then when you can see like, oh, then that, that next step is only like three months away or four months away, um, it creates like really great, a really great retention system for a company and organization. And it's, it's really painful to lose people in sales, especially high performers. Yeah. Um, so it's a great way to kind of continue to help them continue to progress, progress their career up into the right. So it's something that I've been really passionate about because there's, you know, it's so cool to see someone come in and learn a, a skill or a trait and then to see them be able to grow and grow their career and kind of stay, stay with the organization as it's grown. So. That's awesome. And are, are all of these like binary, like quantifiable that you hit your quarter or you hit your month four out of six? Is there anything that's like, uh, like more subjective, like you've been a leader on the team or something that is kind of like, you know, maybe a little tougher to judge? Yeah. So um, you can, well, first of all, organizations can set this up a variety of ways. So that's kind of up to you, right? Um, I'll, I'll just start out with that statement. But um, we, when we did it at Glassdoor, we had, uh, when we created in-role promotions, we had not like binary only um, for in-role promotion. So if you're going from, call it AE1 to AE2 to AE3, these kind of six month, 10% pay bump, uh, base pay bump bumps, it was like all on metrics only, right? So the way we had defined it for AE roles was, okay, once you sell a certain amount, great, you go to the next level. It could take that, it could take you four months, it could take you eight months, um, but once you hit that threshold, you moved. Uh, for different roles, we did a little differently too. So people in our growth team, for example, we would do like a percentage of months um, hitting their quota, hitting and exceeding their quota, and then we'd move them to the next next level. So for me, for in-role promotions, it felt really important for us to do something that's not political in any way yeah. or not, or could be perceived as you know, biased in any way. Um, it just is like straight numbers. Um, but then for promotions between roles, so if you're jumping a ladder, if you're moving from AE to SA or an S&B rep to an enterprise rep or whatever it is, uh, we would do and communicate, we would do a, here's what you need to qualify to interview for a promotion mm -hmm. and publish it. We published it in a really published, or, uh, a very open place where everyone could see your view. And then once you got to interview for that promotion, um, uh, it would, we would publish like the scorecard of kind of how we are judging people on this. And of, with those type of progressions, those larger pump, bumps, we would do qualitative and quantitative, of course, too. So mm -hmm. there would be elements of, you know, are they a team player or, um, you know, probably not for ice, a lot of IC roles, but like, for example, you know, yep. um, I don't know, like, um, how do we, how do you feel like their learning agility or their ability to grasp strategy or their ability to talk to a larger customer base or a different yep. type of customer might be, um, those types of kind of qualitative things as well. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And, um, and so you joined flow hub, what, like 11 months ago. Oh yeah. I think even less than that September, 2019. What is that? Oh, how many okay. months do we have nine. Yeah. And eight or nine, eight, nine. 
nine. Yeah. September of 2020, 2020. So yeah, yeah. nine months, nine months. That's crazy. You did, yeah. did you, I just have to say, I just have to put it out on the table. That's really freaking impressive. Like after like, like a 10 years or so ish yeah, in sales pretty close. to be yeah. at a CRO at like a high growth company. That's pretty oh, crazy. Thank you. I appreciate that, Tom. Um, it's, it's, I, I do appreciate that. Um, I, it's never been my intent to like, you know, I didn't walk out of college saying I want to be a CRO to a fast growing tech company. It, to me, this goes back to like, it's always felt like I've wanted to create organizational efficiency. I've wanted mm -hmm. to help with strategy. I've always felt like, I've, you know, I've got these ideas. I want to share them. I want to help, help us improve as a company. So it's been, I felt like a very natural progression, but I do, I do really appreciate that. Does make me feel good. So thank you. I was, I was going to say like, when you, you don't have to even answer this question, but when you got the job, you must've been like, hell yeah. Like that must feel good <laughs> after like, again, after a decade, there's people that, you know, are directors or VPs of sales after like 25 years. And in 10, you got to the C-suite of a great fast growing company. So I'm just very impressed well, by it. You don't even you. have to answer. But yeah, I don't know. My, um, I've always wanted to be like a CEO of a company. I don't know why. Yeah. I've always thought like, maybe I've got good idea, good enough ideas to be out there. It's, it comes from that like entrepreneurial spirit of the, this great West, right? The Silicon mm -hmm. Valley that we're in of like, you know, well, if, if Zuckerberg can do it, you know, I can do it too. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but I've never, so I don't know where I'm going with this. Um, I mean, you get CEOs at a lot of companies who, um, are fresh out of college too, and they go on yeah. to do great things. So totally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, and you came into a pretty like, uh, how would like, what's the right word? Kind of like a controversial industry. Would you call yeah. it that? Would you call cannabis technology like controversial? I would say like cannabis, there's still certainly a, a stigma around it in the U S yeah. and more so depending on kind of who and where you're, you're talking with. Right. Like if I go to Georgia right now and start, you know, talking about cannabis, I might get some funny looks. Um, yeah. but here in California, there's certainly the stigma is certainly starting to go away. Um, and it's becoming a lot more, I think, normal and accepted. Um, but there are, you know, it's still not, it's only legalized in 35 States, but that's med and rec combined. Mm -hmm. Rec is only legal in 15 now, now that New York and Mexico, have, New Mexico have passed. So it's still, you know, a controversial industry. It's not legal in all states in the U.S. I'd say that's an accurate statement. Yeah. So what what made you want to get into that industry of of anyone that you could have chosen? Yeah. It, um, okay. So two things. First, the first thing is that I, like I mentioned before, I consider myself an entrepreneur. I may have never started my own company, but I'd like to say that I approach, yeah. you know, life with that sort of mindset. Um, and I thought, wow, there's really not another opportunity that you ever get to work in a grow, a, an industry that is growing like a weed, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> you use that, you use that joke every week. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Uh, I do. Um, but there's not an industry that you, that you get to work in that's growing at sex at such exponential rate. And you don't get to work in an industry that's brand new ever again. Like what other industry has come online in the last 25 years that's kind of popped up out of nowhere? The internet, that was the yeah. last one. Um, that went pretty well. 
let's see how this <laughs> one goes. <laughs> the internet's still kicking. It's still kicking. Um, so that really intrigued me because I, I am, um, I think that there's like a huge opportunity to bring a lot of kind of structure and thought leadership into the space too, that maybe um, because there's still not that many, that many players in it um, could be, could be very interesting. Um, the second reason kind of goes back to the mission too of um, like our mission at Flow Hub is to provide safe access for every adult on planet earth, safe access to recreational or medical cannabis, cannabis products. We don't actually sell the products. We actually sell the technology that helps sell the products, just to clarify. Yeah. Um, but I still, we still believe that that's very important. And even though that there's a big stigma around it, it's pretty amazing the stories that you hear in this industry on how it's really changed people's lives. So from a medical perspective, I mean, there are so many use cases that are, that are incredible that a plant can solve for pain management, you know, um, the, the stories that you hear too are like, you know, my grandma has Parkinson's and she's up in, you know, Wisconsin, this is a story, right? This isn't my personal story. Um, and it's the only thing that's been able to kind of help her live a normal life or mm -hmm. cancer management or epilepsy or seizures or, um, pain, arthritis, Alzheimer's, like there are so many really valid and compelling medical applications. And when you hear these stories of people, it's very compelling that, wow, this is just like a very misunderstood plant with a lot of very applicable medical benefits. And then from a recreational perspective, um, it, I just, I think it's a much safer product too. I think about like my two little sons, they're six and four, mm -hmm. they're little. They don't even know what alcohol is. They don't even know what yeah. cannabis is. Yeah. Um, I haven't explained it to them yet. I'm sure that time will come. Give them a few years. Um, give them a few years. But I think about them when they grow up to be, you know, like 16, 18, 21 in that age yep. where they're, you know, experimenting. And I think would I rather drive one of them to the hospital because they've, they have imbibed too much alcohol and now are, you know, have alcohol poisoning or thrown up everywhere or would I rather have them giggling in the basement eating Taco Bell and watching Dumb and Dumber <laughs> and I think the choice for me as a parent is really clear which yeah. one I would rather uh, which one I would rather see and um you know I think everyone kind of deserves that access um the access to the product and to the plant um and I think it's a very misunderstood plant right now too like it's still it's still difficult to bring up to like your neighbor, you know, it's yeah. not like you go over to your neighbor, you go over to your neighbor's house and you're like, Hey, do you want a beer or something like that? You know, you go, you walk in and they offer you a beer. You don't yeah. ever talk about like, do you want an edible or anything yeah, like yeah, that? There's yeah. a stigma around it. Totally. You know, I, I wore, I didn't even realize this, but I wore my uh, flow hub t-shirt, which has a giant cannabis leaf on it to a PTA meeting the other day. <laughs> and <laughs> And I got a couple looks, but then I got a couple moms coming up to me afterwards and we're, we were chit-chatting. And, you know, I think once you break down that door there, the stigma starts to go away. But um, the fact that I even questioned, you know, if I'm wearing my, my Flow Hub t-shirt to a PTA meeting versus if I worked for like Lagunitas, right, um, right there'd be no problem. Um, but there's still like a stigma around it that's starting to go away. And I'd like to think that that's kind of part of the larger mission is how do we help? How do we create a world where maybe you you don't think about 
what shirt you're wearing when you go out or, you know, maybe we get to a point where we can talk about it more openly um, with our friends and neighbors. Um, so that's it. And it's kind of cool to see because I, even in the nine months that I've been in this industry, I can actually see a little bit of positive momentum across the country and in conversations when, you know, when you're talking about cannabis or you're talking about, you know, cannabis tech or anything like that, how it's, how it's progressing. Yeah. And, and like, I have to imagine that part of the reason for the stigma, this is just me pontificating, has to be like maybe up to like the government level and like there's ties yeah. to the alcohol industry or the tobacco industry. And so like they don't want another player. I've always thought like there should be or there could be in a, a world where, you know, instead of like a bar that there's like a, you know, there's like a hookah lounge. That's a thing. You could have like a cannabis, you know, bar. I think there are some of those. Yeah. Are in there? some states. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? Oh. Yeah, well, there you go. Like I should have, I should have gotten trademark on that. <laughs> <laughs> you should have, you thought of it first. I know you did. Um, yeah, I, I would think so that, that, that probably starts to become more and more common maybe in like 25 years from now it does, but you know, in still a lot of parts of the country, it's called like devil's lettuce and stuff yeah. like that, where it's, um, like down, it's kind of yeah. the opposite. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's like a whole, a whole social history around, around why that is. And, uh, it's, it's just kind of interest, an interesting space. And in my opinion, like a very misunderstood plant. Yeah. I, I actually, this is so random, but I, I did hear for the first time ever about some of the history of that, or at least like a theory of, of the history of that. I, uh, yeah. on a podcast, um, talking about how it goes really back to like, you know, early racism, I think from like hundreds yes. of years ago, Yes. And like, I think this might be a oversimplification, but like in that, in those days, like the white people enjoyed alcohol and tobacco and the black people enjoyed cannabis. And so yeah. cannabis was illegal and mer and uh, alcohol and tobacco, you know, ran free. Yeah. There's a lot of, I think like really interesting social reads around this and the whole, the whole industry is like, I mean, part of the reason why I joined this company is like, it's like this helps solve a lot of our social equity problems that we have right now. Like when we look mm -hmm. at our jail, our jailing system in the U.S., it is packed with people of people of color who have been convicted on marijuana convictions. And think of the, the street, the three strike right. rule as an example. People are in jail for life right now because they bought or they sold twenty dollars worth of weed, and that's a shame. They no previous. Um, like, and it's really heartbreaking. So I'd like to think like a lot of the work that we're doing here is helping not just like normalize it, but we also do so much social work internally and on the Cannabis Federation board and a lot of political work in our company too, to help try to right the wrongs of the past and help with decriminalization and help with, um, you know, kind of getting people out of jails um, for previous marijuana convictions. So um, it's a lot of like, I think really important social equity work that we're doing as well here. Yeah. I, I have to imagine that's, you know, all of the other CROs in, you know, tech or in SAS, there's the normal CRO problems you have. And then you have like this bucket of kind of other problems, but other opportunity that like, if you break through all that stuff and the stigma and the education, yeah. and it like could be just a huge, just, it's just like you said, riding a whole wave of, of a brand new industry to, the country yeah. into the world. Yeah, it is. Um, so I call it the rocket ship roller coaster because it certainly <laughs> feels like that. You know, there's kind of wins and losses every day. 
make it feel very much like a roller coaster. But overall, when you look at the the industry, like in 20, I think it was like in 2019, the industry did, it was something like 10 billion total in sales. And then 2020, it was like 20, 20 billion. And it's projected wow. by 2025 to be at 68. I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if we look back 15, 25 years from now and see if it eclipses alcohol sales because the applications are so different and so medicinal as well that there's yeah. a lot of like um, very like medicinal applications that could, you know, stamp out some pharmaceutical use, et cetera. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'll let you out of here in a minute. I've got, I've got to bring you really quickly into what I call the selfish section uh, where I just okay. ask a question that's specific for me in my sales career and no one else has to listen to it. So you mentioned a few times, one of the reasons you loved sales was negotiation. Uh, yeah. We've got, you know, Q2 ending here in about a month. We've got deals on the board. Uh, yeah. You know, we're working them. Like, what's your number one tip or philosophy that you have around negotiation? Oh, my gosh. Oh, well, what you're describing right now is a push, like a you're pushing up on a timeline. You're not really, like, worried about money. You're kind of like, this is, like, we got Q2. We got to get these deals in in Q2. Is that the type of... Or are we talking like money negotiation? Which one are you talking uh, about? I mean, there's both out there. Uh, I would say, let's talk. Let's talk money. Let's talk money. Yeah. Oh, then it just comes down to the value built with the product. Okay, it then let's talk. Then let's talk timeline. <laughs> this talk it comes down to listening too. It's all about yeah. listening. Tom, you're doing yeah. a great job listening to me, kind of talk nonstop today. Um, so I think you'll be fine. This is like honestly, it's about just human connection. Like if. Um, we were going through this with our sales team earlier this week is like, how do you paint a bigger, help paint a bigger picture for the customer and understand that both us and the customer are, are driving at the same shared goal right now, right? It's come, comes back to the mission. I hate to say it when tie it full circle, but we're yeah. helping like provide safe access to everyone. Our, our mission is aligned with their mission, with our buyer's mission. And if you can align what you're doing with what they are doing, you know, there's, it's about val like the value is there. Um, yeah. So I, I would say like, take a lot of time and be very human in the sales process. Understand, like ask a lot of very curious questions and the earlier and like more that you understand their perspective and their values early in the process, the easier that the back half of the process is going to go. It's when you feel that kind of that tight pressure on um, timeline and money. And I got to hit my quota that things start going sideways in sales. So yep. you kind of prevent that by spending more time up front listening. Yep. Um, all right. I've got one or two last questions for you. Mm -hmm. Uh, what sales tech do you use? Do you love, or I guess it could be any tech like that you use in your job though, that it could be common, like a Salesforce, or it could be like anything that's like new coming kind up. Anything that you use. Yeah. I don't know anything like huh, that. Let's see. Um, so we use kind of your traditional stack of Salesforce outreach, um, like the one-two punch for most of our SDRs, yep. AEs. We just, oh my gosh, I just signed a contract for Dialpad this morning, which I'm kind oh. of excited about. We're switching nice. over our phone lines, getting some nice alignment cross-departmentally. Nice. Um, uh, and so that that should be kind of fun because it has a, a, some interesting like feature listening technology. We do not use Gong, so sorry, Tom. But mm, that's uh, okay. your team has been you're not my account talking to me. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, 
So, it, you know, always in consideration. Um, uh, but let's see. And then we've kind of been experimenting around a little bit with, um, we just switched over our chat. I think chat is such a great way to do mm -hmm. like sales and um, account-based marketing. Um, it's just a really interesting uh, like way to converse with a lot of buyers who maybe don't want to talk over the phones, which I think a lot of buyers are um, yeah. that way. And um, we just switched over our chat technology to Incent, a company called Incent.io. And yeah. um, the, fe the features have been really interesting. So that's been really fun to get into. Um, uh, we switched from Drift before. Um, so, you know, kind of always experimenting around, keeping my ear to the ground. Nice. Certain things. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I know we're wrapping up here. Uh, last thing, any like last words, anything that we didn't touch on that you wanted to share? Um, and then obviously if people have questions or want to connect with you, what's a good place, uh, for people to reach out or try to connect? Yeah. Um, no, just a big thank you, Tom, for having me on here today. It's been fun to chat and kind of dump some of my philosophies on you. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Uh, and then if anyone wants to get in touch, you can always reach out to me on LinkedIn and send me a message um, and, or Stephanie at flowhub.com is my email uh, currently. So hit me up. Awesome. La last, last piece. I know Mark gave you a shout out on the podcast. Who's a sales leader that should come on this podcast? Oh, um, if you have not talked to Christina Brady, she's the president of sales assembly. She's so mm -hmm. solid such an interesting gal to chat with, um, and such a strong leader. So I would give, I'd give her a really big shout out there. Um, I'm in. Yeah, that's it. Go talk, awesome. go chat with her. As a, as a, uh, New England Patriots fan, I already love her because of her last name. <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> I appreciate you coming on Stephanie. All right. Thanks, Tom. All right. Thank you everyone so much for checking out that podcast. Uh, especially if you're in the middle of cleaning the dishes, mowing the lawn, uh, you know, taking a nap, whatever it is that you're doing multitasking while you're listening to this, I appreciate you again. Shout out to gong shout out to postal. Uh, it's the last month of the quarter. Let's get after it people. And please, uh, hit me up on social media. I'm Tommy Tahoe everywhere. Uh, Tom Alamo on LinkedIn and, uh, review this podcast, subscribe, uh, show some love. Peace.